Real news. Welcome, everyone, to the Tori Says Show. I'm your host, Tori. Trick or treat episode today. It's my first Halloween episode. And, you know, I am one of those people, and I'm, I'm sh- not even shameless about it, uh, that buys her candy at CVS because they dropped the price like nobody's business today. So you will <laughs> definitely find me at your local pharmacy because they actually dropped the prices in half because for some reason, candy bags are more expensive around Halloween than they are during, you know, regular, uh, you know, any, any time outside of the Halloween season. Let's put it that way. But having said that, I just wanted to say this is coming from the Christmas lady and I'm going to try to incorporate some uh, Christmas songs um, that I can uh, play uh, to get everybody in the mood. I really feel like Christmas is going to be awesome this year. Um, but as I was saying, as the Christmas lady who on November 1st, which means manana, I will have the Christmas Christmas wreath on my door and lights going up. Uh, I was shocked to see at like gas stations, even last week, you know, Christmas Reese's, Christmas trees next to ghosts. I, I think we're all going to just skip Halloween from now on. And Christmas trees were in Walmart like two and a half weeks ago. So um, having said that, it is a holiday. And I think our treat is coming in the fact of classified information that was recovered uh, from uh, al-Baghdadi's uh, area. Uh, this, I, I I knew that we had recovered some documents um, two days ago, uh, the, uh, you know, like late in the evening. So I guess, you know, it's one day ago because, you know, time difference and all, whatever. But I know that there's something in those documents, uh, and that's pretty interesting. So today we have a lot to cover, and we're going to kind of just skim cover and kind of almost in-depth cover a lot of things. So we've got Epstein. We've got Ilhan Omar. Guys, this woman, anytime she speaks, indicates her siding with terrorists and aggressive jihadi behavior. It's it's so alarming. So that's one. Uh, and that's in reference to what she said in the house. I can't believe she is in the house and the thing she said about Kashmir. Uh, so there's that. Uh, we're also going to talk about Brexit. Uh, they got an extension like what? Um, so that was like a big fail, complete fail. Um, we have the fake impeachment vote. Uh, Pakistan literally on fire, a whole passenger train literally on fire. We're going to talk a little bit about the fires in California because, you know, we've got Pelosi and Schiff setting fires and literally put, pouring their $7 a gallon gas from California on it uh, to torch the foundations of this nation, but they're doing nothing for their state. Uh, so there's that. I mean, there's there's a lot to cover, so we'll just take it um, slowly. How's that? So the first thing I thought we should cover is, um, oh, yeah, and we also have Twitter and Facebook, you know, in regards to the um, uh, bans. So I'm going to revisit. That's where I want to start with the whole political ad banning. I want to revisit something we did 
on air, live when it was on, on October 23rd. You remember, uh, for those of you that are listeners, if you're not, I upload my radio shows. I have this amazing guy named Scott, uh, out in Idaho that helps, you know, with the audio so it's more listenable. <laughs> Because I tend to change the pitches of my voice and sometimes I'll even eat the microphone. So uh, he fixes that for me. Um, so now I'm a little bit more better at uploading them really quick. Um, you can find them on SoundCloud, uh, iTunes, um, uh, Stitcher, TuneIn, any, any, anything that does podcasts, you can find it. Um, also, I may be starting a YouTube thing. So I don't know if I could do it live, like while I'm taping. Um, I don't know, cause kind of self-conscious, you know, I am a woman, but, um, I will see to put it on YouTube because a lot of people have like YouTube premium or whatever, and they can listen to things without having to have their phone open. So, uh, that I'm working on. Um, so anyway, it's up there. Revisit that talk because I re, I said this was going to happen on the 23rd of October. And this is because the Democrats, kind of like the way Lindsey Graham, you know, threw in that, oh, let's get a special, are you suggesting a secondary special counsel? And boom, same day a letter goes out. Well, remember what Maxine Waters said to Zuckerberg. Remember, this hearing was for the cryptocurrency, right? This was about innovation. This is about creating new markets, new fake currencies, you know, because it's a fiat currency. Cryptocurrency is a fiat currency. It's only attractive and high in value when it's running out. So um, take a listen to this so that you can see that way you don't, you know, you yourself can see in between the words. So remember, we're talking about cryptocurrency. Listen to what Maxine Waters says in her opening statement. To declare recess of the committee at any time, this hearing is entitled An Examination of Facebook and Its Impact on the Financial Services and Housing Sectors. I now recognize... Okay, you heard that. Financial services and housing sectors. She's going to recognize, listen to her opening statement. I recognize myself for five minutes to give an opening statement. Today, we're here to examine the impact of Facebook on the financial services and housing sectors. Our sole witness is Facebook's chairman and CEO, Mark Zuckerberg. Facebook's plans to create a digital currency, Libra, and a digital wallet, Calibra raised many concerns relating to privacy, trading risk, discrimination, opportunities for diverse-owned financial firms, national security, monetary policy, and the stability of the global financial system. I and other Democrats have called for a moratorium on Facebook's development of its digital currency, Libra, and digital wallet, Calibra, until Congress can examine the issues associated with a big tech company developing these digital products and take action. As I have examined Facebook's various problems, I've come to the conclusion that it would be beneficial for all if Facebook concentrates on addressing its many existing deficiencies and failures before proceeding any further on the Libra project. Let's review the record. First, on diversity and inclusion. 
Facebook has utterly failed. Facebook's executive ranks and workforce continue to be mostly white and male. Since Reverend Jesse Jackson and the Rainbow Push Coalition called upon Silicon Valley companies, including Facebook, to release its diversity statistics more than five years ago, the representation of African Americans and Hispanics has increased by less than 2%. Facebook also told us that they have zero dollars managed by diverse firms. On fair housing, Facebook has been sued by the National Fair Housing Alliance for enabling advertisers to engage in discrimination on its advertising platforms. The U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development has also filed an official charge of discrimination against Facebook for its advertising practices, including the company's own ad delivery algorithms, which were found to have a discriminatory impact when advertisers did not target their audience in discriminatory ways. I understand that Facebook has refused to cooperate with HUD's fair housing investigation by refusing to provide relevant data. On competition and fairness, Facebook is the subject of an antitrust investigation by the attorneys generals of 47 states and the District of Columbia. On protecting consumers, Facebook was fined $5 billion by the Federal Trade Commission for deceiving consumers and failing to keep their data private. On elections, Facebook enabled the Russian government to interfere with our election in 2016 with ads designed to pit Americans against each other, suppress the vote, and boost Trump. For example, Facebook allowed a counterfeit Black Lives Matter webpage to operate with the goal of discouraging African Americans from voting. Three years later, these activities are still continuing on Facebook. Uh, Black Lives Matters is run by the Democratic Alliance, which has the Democratic Coalition, Obama for America, Hillary for America. So they're really PO'd that a fake page mimicking something that they've been funding with loans from amalgamated bank, which is which they never pay back. So it's in essence money laundering. Uh, you know, we're putting ads for Trump. Listen, listen, listen to what she is saying has nothing to do with Libra currency. We learned just this week that Russia and Iran are using the same tactics to meddle in our next election. Now on political speech. Last week, you announced that Facebook would not be doing fact-checking on political ads, giving anyone Facebook labels a politician a platform to lie, mislead, and misform the American people which will also allow Facebook to sell more ads. The impact of this will be a massive voter suppression effort that will move at the speed of a click. Your claim to promote freedom of speech does not ring true. Mr. Zuckerberg, each month, 2.7 billion people use your products. That's over a third of the world's population. That's huge. That's so big that it's clear to me and to anyone who hears this list that perhaps you believe that you're above the law and it appears that you are aggressively increasing the size of your company and are willing to step on or over anyone, including your competitors, women, people of color, your own users, and even our democracy to get what you want. 
All of these problems I have outlined and given the company's size and reach, it should be clear why we have serious concerns about your plans to establish a global digital currency that would challenge the U.S. dollar. In fact, you have opened up a serious discussion about whether Facebook should be broken up. The chair now recognizes the ranking member of the committee, the gentleman from North Carolina, Mr. McHenry, for five minutes for an opening statement. So we're not going to talk about what McHenry says because he just sticks to the facts, which is we're talking about Libra. As you see, she was very, very salty about these ads and about how they're not taking them down and how they probably contributed to them and all this stuff, right? Oh, bad Facebook. Yeah, we know that Facebook has breached privacy because there were no laws to protect our information. This was something new and things like that happened. Not saying the fact that he, you know, scanning my messages and my friends list and what I share is okay. It's just that, you know, uh, come on, man. Are we talking about advertising or are we talking about Libra currency? And this is how they're paying him back. They're like, you want to make money? We're going to hurt your pocket. You either do what we say or we're going to hurt your pocket. And this is exactly the messaging she gave him on the 23rd, which then uh, now we fast forward to yesterday. We see Hillary Clinton putting out a tweet saying Facebook's decision to allow false information and p- political advertisements is appalling. Voters are being confronted by millions of pieces of information. A world where up is down and down is up is a world where democracy can't write. Like, okay, hold on a second. So are they saying that Joe Biden didn't, like, you know, uh, uh, hold USAID against the Ukraine? Is that what they're saying? That he didn't try to get his son off? Is that what they're saying? That his son didn't get a job at Burisma? Is that what they're saying? Or that his son didn't get $1.5 billion? from China because no all of those are facts so what is it so here she is making this claim now she did it in the morning and according to my sources um, you know huge amount of Democrats and lobbies and this includes this includes Penn quarterly group owned by Daniel Jones were on a really big call and Jack Dorsey was thinking about it and mulling about it and then Boom, a few hours, we've made the decision to stop all political advertising on Twitter globally. We believe the political message reach should be earned, not bought. Why? A few reasons. Now, listen. The ads, here's why they don't want them. Because Loomer for Congress is going to be running ads. She is winning. They don't want her on. They don't want these on. Now, they're going to have to let Laura Loomer on Twitter because she's going to win her primary, even though, you know, Lois Frankel is Laura, is, is Pelosi's bestie, right? Laura's mopping the floor. And I urge all of you to go to Laura Loomer for Congress.com. Send $5, $10, $2, $1, whatever it is. She needs to be in Congress. Um, cause I'm going to tell you something. When she's in Congress, I'm going to be right there with her. She will be annihilating them. She will be ensuring that legislation is passed. She will be calling them out. And don't forget, she has loomer.com. That is her company. Obviously, she can't be writing articles, I guess, but it's her company and her company, loomer.com is one of the largest and most hit websites in the nation right now. Uh, not getting recognition, obviously that it should, 
uh, giving you news like one after the other. And don't forget, she's going to win this Facebook lawsuit. And that is probably why Jack, uh, you know, can do this, but not Zuckerberg. See, Zuckerberg can't make that selection, uh, because if he decides to cancel all political ads, that is going to put a really big dent in his pocket. Now, I want to wonder, and I'm really wondering, so Twitter is free, right, guys? And the only way they make money is how? By the advertisements. Uh, there's no other way. Like, I mean, how are they making money? Think about it. What have you spent on Twitter, right? But you do get ads, right? Sometimes you'll click through if they're good. Like Instagram. I Guys, like those Instagram ads, like for hair stuff and beauty stuff, like I'm such a sucker. This is why I don't go on there because I'll end up try, trying things I really don't need. But those ads are like perfect. The way they like flow into the feed, not so impulse, you know, not so in your face. Well, that's how Jack makes his money. And political ads are priced differently. Like for example, if you wanted to run an ad on your TV station, your local one, right? And you go there and you're like, oh, I want to advertise, you know, the cookies that I bake. They'll be like, all right, for like a 10 second spot, it's like a hundred bucks and we'll run it, you know, this time once and this time another time. All right. And you're like, yeah, great. If you're a political candidate, that price just jumped up in like two, three zeros. Because your campaign's paying for it. And it's not like to better your business. It's a political campaign. So there's a lot of money to be made. So you have to think again. Where is Jack getting his money if he's cutting out millions of dollars in ad revenue? Millions. And this is global, he said. Where are they getting their money? Think about it, guys. Where are they getting their money to pay for these coders. I mean, I know Jack has Square and other companies. We're talking Twitter itself. I mean, I would really like to see their financials and see what kind of income they bring. I mean, this is something that we need to start digging at. Because if you were to say, oh, you know, I'm not doing advertisements for whatever, you know, first of all, that's discrimination. But, you know, you can choose to keep it politically ad-free. But that is a big, big hit in your pocket, right, guys? Super big hit. So how is Twitter making ends meet? You see what I'm saying? How are they making ends meet if they're cutting out millions and millions of dollars? I mean, look, New York Times was like, everyone's like, oh, yeah, like Trump is really going to like stop getting the Washington Post and the New York Times to all federal agencies. That's like a massive account. The U.S. government, State Department, White House, uh, CIA offices, FBI offices, other intel agency offices, agencies that don't look like agency offices, uh, Department of Commerce, Department of Energy. Like imagine just how many offices around the nation get the New York Times subscribed to, right? The subscription. Guess how many? Tons. This is millions upon millions. I'm telling you at a minimum, they lost about $20 million in income. New York Times and Washington Post, right? When President Trump said no. That's $20 million of our federal taxpayer dollars to fund propaganda that the president said, uh, you know what, no. And you know what? Advertisers are no longer going to be advertising in the New York Times that we're targeting people that are working at the, you know, in the federal government to push loans, a new car, a new house, you know, um, 
a work is and buy scheme, you know, where they go to government, uh, you know, servants and say, hey, do you have you been there and you're an employee with an indefinite, you know, with not a fixed date? I've had tons of those things come in the mail. If you're, you know, blah, 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 with no fixed date, then you can buy yourself a house. You work with us and we take it out of your wages, blah, 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 blah. And this, 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 this. So all those, that advertising money is going too. So now you have all of these, this, this big deficit that the New York Times and the Washington Post just got. And you have to wonder, how are they making ends meet? Right? The same thing with Twitter. How the hell are they making ends meet when they're cutting out millions of dollars in revenue from advertising? Political advertising. Ah. You know, so now, I mean, we know that the Washington Post, Bezos, after his divorce, he had a big dent in his pocket, operating well, companies are are moving in their sales, but he's in a deficit, you guys. He's working on loaned money because he expanded with this grocery stuff, the facial recognition purchases at shops, you know, where you walk in, put stuff in your basket and you walk out. You don't even need to go to teller. You just walk out because the computer systems in there are just monitoring you 24 seven and they see what you get and then you get charged for it. Right. So when you walk out the door, they're charging the card that you have on your Amazon file. Right. And they see that from your face. Now that's super creepy. Right. But anyway, he's invested a lot. So Bezos got a lot of Qatari dollars. And this is why we saw an obituary for a terrorist in the United States of America. An obituary for a terrorist in a U.S.-based newspaper. Like, are you kidding? We're running obituaries for terrorists and calling them ostrich professors? Are you kidding? This guy has been... uh, uh, went to court in his country for being a jihadi. You know, a lot of people like to throw Muslims all into one basket. Like all of them are jihadi and crazy. All of them are, no, they're not. A lot of them are like tourist Christians too, you know? They, and then there is such a thing. How many of you like really go to church all the time? How many of you just go to church maybe twice a year? I'll tell you what, the majority of my family, and I'm Greek Orthodox, super strict Christians, right? The majority of my family will go to church right before their birthday to take communion, on their name day to take communion, Christmas and Easter. That's about it. Four days, and I, you know, the only day that they won't miss is Easter, the resurrection, right? That's the only day they won't miss because everybody and their mother goes. Nobody misses the resurrection ever. That's like, you know, that's like the worst thing you could do as a Greek. So I'm just saying. So they're tourist Christians, right? It's not like they go all the time. They're not sitting in their house in front of, you know, a little candle, you know, reading a prayer or in their bed, wherever, you know. The same thing goes for all the other religions. There's a lot of Jews that don't go to temple every Saturday. There's a lot of Lutherans that don't go to church. There's a lot of Buddhists that don't do Buddhist stuff, whatever it is they do. There's a lot of people that don't go to the temples in China and in India, you know, all the time. You know, and there's Muslims that don't go, you know, to pray every single time. They don't pray five times a day, you know. They do pray, though, because it's part of their culture, right? Because I've had a lot of friends that I've interviewed interacted with that were tourists. They did, they never went, you know, to, to call for prayer, but they would always do it in the morning before they start their day. And that's a cultural thing. So again, right, let's, let's take it back again. All Muslims are not bad, but terrorists do not deserve obituaries in the United States, period, right? Period. 
And there is, I'm, I'm waiting on one more document that I'm waiting for from Kuwait. I'm going to be putting a full profile on Baghdadi, uh, you know, just to counter what the post did by putting him as an professor. I'm going to slam them like nobody's business because this guy was being prosecuted for being a jihadi in nations that practice Islam, that have it as a primary religion and primary cultural component of their society. So, that is a big deal. Now, speaking of jihadis, we're going to get into this whole um, Omar uh, situation. I'm just going to like uh, kind of introduce it to you just for a second because I want you to hear it from Indian TV. So I'm going to introduce it to you before we head for the break. Take a listen is known to use different local issues as bargaining chips to interfere in the internal affairs of other countries. Trade imbalance and intellectual property rights for China, Crimea and nuclear weapons for Russia, and now it seems it's human rights in Kashmir and Assam for India. While the first two strategies were employed by the government itself, the attempt to put pressure on India comes from Representative Ilan Omar, one of the members of the so-called Squad. Speaking at the congressional hearing on human rights in South Asia, Omar projected... Wait, hold on. I just want to say, I'm going to break it right there. Did you hear what she said? She said all those things that Omar does. This is a Muslim woman from a Muslim nation telling you about Muslim Omar. So it's not about Islamophobia. It's not about racism. It's about facts. Now, after the break... Uh, you need to hear this interaction with Omar and uh, this um, Muslim Indian woman. Uh, she, I mean, I couldn't believe it that she would do that so firmly. Uh, so, I mean, just just let that percolate for a second. Let it percolate for a second. I mean, wow. I'll see you all in just a bit. All right, welcome back to the Tory Says Show. For those of you joining now, I'm going to play the first 30 seconds so you can listen to how another woman, another Muslim woman of color, is talking about Omar. Not new. The U.S. is known to use different local issues as bargaining chips to interfere in the internal affairs of other countries. Trade imbalance and intellectual property rights for China, Crimea and nuclear weapons for Russia, and now it seems it's human rights in Kashmir and Assam for India. While the first two strategies were employed by the government itself, the attempt to put pressure on India comes from Representative Ilan Omar, one of the members of the so-called Squad. Speaking at the congressional hearing on human rights in South Asia, Omar projected the Indian government in bad light. Her criticism was rebutted by Assistant Secretary of State Alice Wells. First, take a look at this exchange. Ambassador Wells, as you know, last month I let a, I let a letter to Ambassador Juster and Jones um, with UCC'd on it on the situation of Kashmir. Our partnership with India is strategic, but it's also based on our shared values of democracy, religious pluralism, and the respect of human rights. Under Modi and the PJP government, all of these mutual values have been threatened. And I think we have to understand the situation in Kashmir as part of an overall Hindu nationalism project of the PJP. So my first question to you is about the right of self-determination. 
Is the United States committed to emphasizing the centrality of Kashmir voices in determining the future of the Jammu and Kashmiri people? I would disagree with the characterization of, of the that we don't have a values-based relationship with the government of Prime Minister Modi. And I would just underscore that Prime Minister Modi came in a consecutive term. He achieved a majority vote in a very uh, uh, diverse um, uh, We can can agree to disagree on that. I just would like to understand if we are going to centralize the voices of the Kashmiri and... But just to provide context, I mean, the actions he took were approved in in Parliament, including by members of the opposition. The Supreme Court is reviewing that decision. The High Court is reviewing habeas corpus petitions. The, The institutions of India's democracy are working. We absolutely believe that a Kashmiri's voice needs to be heard, that in any uh, restoration, uh, when there is restoration of a political, of an assembly, when there are state assembly elections, you know, that that's the way for Kashmiris to be able to register uh, their, their views, also in peaceful assembly. And so I think the concern over the restrictions on movement and, and what we've seen over the last 78 days is that that ability to protest peacefully um, has been difficult for Kashmiris to exercise. Yeah. I mean, and the part of the reason I ask and the part of the reason I emphasize the context of the larger PGP project is because I think in both cases the impunity we have seen for crimes against Muslims under the PJP um, was warming for such worse things to come. In Assam, almost two million people are being asked to affirmably approve their citizenship. Uh, as my colleague and the chairman said, um, there have been official statements to the effect that no Buddhist, Christian, Sikh, or Jain refugees need to worry about their status. And so this is a clear anti-Muslim program. And I'm sure you've seen the same reports that the Indian government is starting to build camps in Assam, presumably. Okay, I'm going to stop it right there because here's where she's debating back and forth uh, with uh, the uh, assistant uh, U.S. secretary uh, of state. Uh, and I want you guys to listen to how she speaks Okay, to an, a Kashmiri-based Muslim female journalist, where she even questions her credibility and credentials um, back and forth, claiming that this is a Muslim attack, and you know, not recognizing the fact that they have jihadi Pakistani rebels now. I was the one that had told you, I think it was months ago when we were talking about the Taliban uh, and how they're a political party, how they've spilled over into Islamabad, uh, you know, neighboring uh, nation is Pakistan, and they have found jihadi uh, loyalists there too. Now, during this hearing on the 22nd, guys, you really have to listen to what she said to Arti Tiku Singh, um, who was talking about this. She was so disgustingly rude and she was like and who are you because okay so this journalist okay so miss singh she writes for india times right but she is a person that has been i you know i really wish a lot of reporters were like that because i know a lot of people say well you're partisan and it's like well if the president ever does anything that i don't agree with i'll be the first one to call him out and i don't think uh you know i've demonstrated any other type of Tory, okay? 
this woman is just like that. She will call out whatever party it is, whatever atrocity is happening, because she is trying to put the news and the facts out and doesn't take sides. Um, I have read a lot of her articles. I really like her, too. Um, she's kind of spunky in the way she writes. I've been following her uh, since this, uh, since Kashmir, when it peaked last, like over five years ago, there was a peak of issues, and then suddenly, you know, it was just all terror and we hear nothing. That's why I said it's important to know that in Pakistan, uh, a passenger bus literally engulfed in flames. Now listen to this exchange. It'll, it, it'll make you so angry. Listen. The number of Kashmiri Muslims who have been killed in Kashmir is immense and they have been victimized by Pakistani terror state. You also make the incredible dubious claim that the Indian government's crackdown in Kashmir is good for human rights. If it was good for human rights, Ms. Singh, it wouldn't be happening in secret. Okay, so let me just say what Ilhan Omar was referring to. So the Indian government had deployed special forces to remove terrorists, Pakistani terrorists, that were slaughtering Indians and Pakistani Muslims living in Kashmir that will not join their terror group. It's kind of like ISIS coming in and saying, oh, you're not joining? Well, then you're dead. This is why, you know, ISIS is killing Muslims in Syria. But, you know, there's a special type of Muslim that Omar aligns with, and that's the terrorists. So it's incredible because if you hear this, this happened in the Foreign Affairs Committee, okay, where they're discussing human rights in South Asia. Why would they even have Self, her there? one of the persecuted Kashmiris who... Okay, so why would they even have Ilhan Omar talking about human rights? This is crazy. But listen to this exchange. Although I'm myself one of the persecuted Kashmiris who grew up in destitution as a refugee in my own country, I do not represent my community here today. The, the fundamental point that I'm trying to make is the victims in Kashmir are the ones who have been killed and massacred, massacred by Pakistani-sponsored terrorists. The number of Kashmiri Muslims who have been killed in Kashmir is immense, and they have been victimized by Pakistani terror state. But throughout these 30 years of conflict, through, through, throughout these 30 years of Islamic Jihad and terror in Kashmir, perpetrated by Pakistan, has been completely ignored and overlooked by the world press. Ms. Singh, as a, report, a reporter's job is to find the objective truth about what's happening and report it to the public. You have an enormous audience at the Times of India, and you have an enormous responsibility to get it right. I'm aware of how the narrative shaped by reporting can distort the truth. I'm also very aware of how it could be limited to sharing only the official side of the story. The press at its worth, worst when it is uh, a mouthpiece for a government. In your version of the story. Okay, did you hear that? First of all, she's reading it. 
So somebody else is writing this for her. I can't imagine any American citizen using the credibility of this journalist that she probably doesn't even know, right, to say, oh, yeah, your version of the story, the only problem in Kashmir caused by, you know, Pakistani militants. Listen to how she says it. She says the press is at its worst when it's a mouthpiece for the government. You mean what's happening right now for us or the fact that you have Al Jazeera U.S. version called WAPO attacking everything? Let me just put a hiatus there. So I don't know if you guys noticed. But there was a state senator, I talked about this, named Oli Larson, um, that's from my area. And this man is Native American. He is super, uh, bipartisan. He's like, he's like a centrist constitutionalist. Totally love him. And, um, I, you know, and how he votes. Okay. And so he had put stuff out about Omar and his personal page, if you remember, and people were outraged. So, you know, I did something that I'll tell you guys about later when it's done uh, to, um, you know, get my little spite in for the person that instigated this. And then I wrote an article saying, well, oh, you know, he said that Omar's an elected terrorist. Maybe we should get, you know, a nice veteran to take her spot in Minnesota, you know, outrage. So I write one and I'm like, no one's outraged that Heidi was talking about hanging our president of the United States from the highest tree on a national platform, not on her personal Facebook page that only a few people can see. Are you kidding? So I write this article and I said, you know, to many people in that circle, you watch the Washington Post write a piece. And guys, the next day, boom, it was everywhere. It went national news, how a state senator, blah, blah, blah. Omar made a statement, blah, blah, blah. Care made statements, blah, blah, blah. She, th- the things that she's saying, she's reading. That's why she couldn't even, you know, articulate it correctly. So I want you guys to know that. She is nothing but a stand-in to cause this disruption so she can rally up the Muslim base that makes up. Now, hear this. Do you guys know this? That within the United States, over 28% are Muslim. And like I said, like any religion, it can be radicalized if they are made to feel attacked, right? Now, no one is going against Muslims. People are going against jihadis and Omar is a jihadi. Even her own people in their Somalis don't like her anymore. She's going to be in for a really big surprise if they can't fix these elections. But anyway, listen to what she tells this woman. I, I was so I was like, why is nobody saying anything to her to tell her to shut up? A mouthpiece for a government. In your version of the story, the only problems in Kashmir are caused by what you call militants. The only people protesting what to break away from India and are all nefariously backed by Pakistan. You also make the incredible dubious claim that the Indian government's crackdown in Kashmir is good for human rights. If it was good for human rights, Ms. Singh, it wouldn't be happening in secret. You make what I might call a feminist case for the occupation of Kashmir and the communication shutdowns saying it would be better for women. My record, my professional record is that I have, la- I have lashed out at every single government in India on various issues from human rights, violations committed in Kashmir to the uh, lynchings over beef 
in the mainland India. I have a record of being non-partisan throughout in my uh, profession uh, of the last 20 years. So for Ms. Omar to say such uh, accusations against me is really condemnable. Can you can you guys believe that this this woman is sitting in the Foreign Affairs Committee and no wonder we didn't say anything about going into getting al Baghdadi. She has every jihadi Muslim Brotherhood leader on speed dial on her phone. And I'm pretty sure we have a, you know, a FISA warrant on her, which is going to end up being really interesting. You know, she wouldn't even know there's a FISA warrant out on her. You know what I'm saying? But from the minute she sat down and had a closed door meeting with Erdogan, boy, she has no idea what's coming for her. You know, I see all these people like, oh, the FBI contacted me about information about Ilhan Omar. It's like, let me tell you something. In early 2019, I, I, I don't know if I told you guys this. I kind of did. I got some information from the North Dakota State University that um, me and Laura put together. Now, obviously, I was still working on one piece of the end where I had done the FOIA request, where I had put out to ICE, where I had put out to FBI. And I gave him some evidence that Laura or I did not make public because, you know, even though I would love to put all her business out there. There's something called being classy. You don't do things like that because what if the information that I have is one fabricated two, not the whole story or three damaging to more people. Why would I do that? That's just being uh, scummy, right? It's just being totally scummy. Uh, you don't just ruin someone's life uh, you know, out of spite because that comes and bites you in the ass at some point <laughs> for sure. So you have to be careful with what you put out there publicly. So I did put out the emails that I had with the president of the state of the North Dakota State University where I asked him to confirm information and he did. And through that, I found information of fraud. I found information of felony level crimes. And so I've already been in parlay with authorities since like first quarter of this year. So we're talking in March. I was super busy with them. Okay. So now other people are getting calls back just to see if they have more stuff than I do. And maybe they found mine trickled somewhere online, you know, from hearsay, kind of like whistleblowers where I have just pocket discussions and people just share info. Right. Um, or maybe they found it on a chan board somewhere. I don't know. Or maybe they just did their homework and found it, you know, just saying. So this is a person, okay, who we've got a FISA warrant on. I can bet my life on that one because she had a closed door meeting with the president of Turkey. That is enough to get a FISA warrant on you faster than you can even blink. Like if I sat down right now uh, and had a closed door meeting with the president of Greece, I'm just saying, closed door, right? Not other people, not public, just me and them shooting it, closed door. There would be a FISA warrant out on me. As an average citizen, let alone at that time, she was only a state rep, right? She was only for her state. And they were texting her, congratulations, why is Turkey so obsessed with her? Why is Qatar so obsessed with her? Well, the Imam of Peace is coming down with some documentation. Um, so that'll be fun to see. Uh, now, enough with Jihadi Omar, right? We don't need to talk about Jihadi Omar. The only thing I need to tell you is that there is no affair that is all made up. 
It's all BS to cover the fact that they got a divorce. The real fact of the divorce, I'm telling you what it is. The husband cut a deal with the federal government. They got a divorce. There is no spousal, you know, um, what is it called? Oh, shoot. The words at the tip of my mouth. Um, where your spouse can't testify against you. So if you commit a crime while you're married, your wife or your husband can't say anything. They don't, you know, they don't testify. Now, if you committed that crime before you got married, right? And, you know, you didn't report it and then you got married, still the crime, you knew about it before you got married. So that doesn't count. So, so Ilhan Omar can't invoke the spousal something, something. So just telling all you married people out there, you ever kill someone, you bury the body, do it while you're married and only have your, your spouse see it because they can't legally, uh, you know, testify against you if they want to cover up, if they help you bury the body kind of thing. I'm not trying to promote crime. I'm just telling you. But if you commit the crime before you get married and then you tell your spouse about it and then, uh, you know, you get caught for it, then your spouse can testify against you and you can't invoke that. So I'm just saying... Uh, she's in a lot of trouble. You guys have no idea, but you know, something that I said is we'll let the primary go and then we arrest her because then there is no way any Democrat can take that seat. She will not. She'll be in jail. She'll be done. She'll probably be deported back to Puntland shamed with her tail between her legs. Mm. And having said that, you know, so many times I've expressed this on the show that, I would love, I don't care what anybody says, let President Trump be called a dictator, round them all up, all of them. I can I can see all their faces in one room and just round them up. You know, we're talking Fiona Hill, Sally Gates, you know, Rice, all of them. Just uh, put them all in a room and just lock it, all of them. Let them all bicker amongst themselves, the Clintons, the Comeys, the FBIs, the CIAs, the Bren, all of them. But he can't. And here's the thing. He can't even do it now. Like I said, the majority, I can foresee the mass arrest happening when he gets reelected, like all of them, because then they can't say, oh, he's doing it. So that way, you know, he gets the presidency again for a second term. So he just locks up his political opponents. Well, he's got no opponents now, man, because he's not running for a third term, right? He's only got two terms. He just got reelected for a second term. You're going to jail. And that is the best plan. Now, in the meantime, we should put a few people in jail because some people can't fathom that and get upset. They're like, how are they walking around? And this is why James Comey said he's going to move to New Zealand if Trump wins 2020. Comey, you're not going to make it fast enough. Your passport will be revoked just as you make plans to go. You watch. You watch. You will have no passport to go. But on the other hand, he has a New Zealand passport. And according to the extradition treaty with New Zealand, they don't have to extradite their own citizens. So I'm pretty sure that our Homeland Security, our immigration offices realize that James Comey has dual citizenship now. And that's why he has plans to go to New Zealand. Story coming on that one. Uh, and that's why he said that he's going to be leaving and moving to New Zealand if he wins 2020 because he knows that the day President Trump wins 2020, the next day, they're all getting locked up in a mass roundup. And he's going to say, look, all of you are saying I was doing it for political opposition. 
You said the crimes that Joe Biden committed, that Obama committed, that Hillary committed, that Comey committed, that Brendan committed, that everybody and their mother that is a Democrat committed. I was investigating because they were my political opponents, not because they're criminals. So here's what I'm doing. I'm rounding them all up now because they're not my political opponents anymore. Nobody cares about them. Elections are done. I can't be president again. You watch me sway, you know. But in the meantime, I hear that, you know, Comey's going to be under um, some uh, pretty high heat. What you, <laughs> you reap what you sow, Comey. So I hear his name on the back chatter super duper constantly. So that is going to be very exciting for all of us. Now, uh, like I said, uh, we have a lot to talk about, and I thought the one thing that we could look at is um, this impeachment vote, too. Uh, but before we get into that, you guys, I mean, I think that it's important that we listen. Oops. Oops. Darn it. And that we listen to Kellyanne Conway this morning before I break. Take a listen to her. Right, Counselor to the oh. President. The president joins us right now from the North Lawn of the White House. And we know what team she was rooting for last night. Good morning. It's so exciting for the city. You know, since President Trump came to office, the Capitals, the hockey team, the Mystics, and the Nationals have won their first championship. So we're really jacked up for the whole city. It's exciting. Are you saying the president deserves the credit for the, the Nationals winning last night? The credit goes to the athletes. And I there have to say, go. the Lerner family, what they've done for the city is truly yeah. remarkable. They like the owners of the Capitals when the Capitals won a couple years ago, said they did this for the fans, right. and uh, you feel it in the city. But anyway, okay. well, do you think that's still serious take, business. Will they still take the vote today, do you think? Aren't the Democrats and, and all the Republicans together on this, and they're in a good mood this morning? Ainsley, who knows? And you know why we're confused about whether they'll take the vote? Because you have the Democratic leadership. Nancy Pelosi saying, well, we don't need to do that. I know. Yet, you have Steny Hoyer completely confused, it seems, as to what an impeachment resolution is. You know, all the armchair psychologists out there constantly wanting to analyze the President of the United States ought to have a little go at people like Joe Biden, Hillary Clinton, Steny Hoyer, Nancy Pelosi. These people, every time they open their mouths, they make no sense. Something going on in there, right. folks? So they can't even get it right. Impeachment is simple math. You either have the votes right. or you don't. And guess what? Dirty little secret. They don't have the votes. You just went through the list of Democratic members of Congress who have not committed to an impeachment inquiry. That's key. But think about that. They're the politicians. Think about all the people they represent, the 17 swing states mm -hmm. that are basically being looked at and, and are in play for next year. The people, especially the independents in those states, are allergic to a protracted impeachment. Impeaching a president is an extraordinary event that's rarely done because we have democratic elections mm -hmm. and President Trump was democratically elected. Don't allow people to overturn the last election results or to interfere in the next ones. These Democrats came to Washington and said, I'm going to reduce your drug prices. They're trying to impeach and investigate the president. I'm going to work on infrastructure. Mm -hmm. They're investigating the president. Or they have fires in their state. Uh, they're going to impeach the president. That's the thing. They're do-nothing Democrats. And like I said, any Democrat that votes for impeachment will not be elected in 2020. By the way, also, I just wanted this is historic because this is the first time an impeachment vote has gone through. Get this. With only one party pushing it through. Now, they won't get the votes in the Senate, people say. But I'd say, don't hold your breath. We have so many rhinos. It's ridiculous. So I'll see you guys just shortly after this break. We'll We'll pick this up, okay? And go through it.
real news. Welcome, everyone, to the Tori Says Show. I'm your host, Tori. So today, uh, on the first hour, we talked about a few things. We talked about Ilhan Omar. We talked about the crazy environment we are in. We talked about Halloween. We talked about how Brexit failed, but I didn't tell you what happened. They gave him an extension until like the end of January of 2020. But if they come to a deal before that, they could get out. It seems like they want to drag it and drag it because they don't want this to collapse. The United States is at fault for this Brexit. It's all their fault. All their fault. Now, um, there is uh, some weird stuff that have come out uh, in through the Justice Department. I'm seeing really heavy hitting against pharmaceutical and healthcare companies. Surgeon General was actually in my state, and I know that the, the hospital here settled for fraud again here too. I mean, they are cracking down like nobody's business, but there are so many sealed indictments to come. Uh, it's, it's getting really, really interesting. Like every single time I see a notification from the Justice Department, my heart stops, and I'm like, oh my gosh, is it happening? Who is it? Where, when is it happening? When are they breaking? You know, this is, uh, you know, a big deal. Now, I wanted to say with the, where I spoke a little bit about al-Baghdadi, there are a couple of people that they're saying they're going to replace him. Uh, I can tell you that, uh, Abu Ibrahim, um, he's known as al-Qurashi. Uh, he is supposedly going to be taking place. Uh, you know, this is one of those front things, you guys. Totally one of those front things. And, uh, it kind of pains me to see people just jump on it. They're not going to tell you. They're really not going to tell you at all, but let's pretend, right? Okay, so the the, the actual leader I'm going to tell you right now, who I know from my sources, is actually the leader of Al-Qaeda in Yemen, and he was released by Barack Hussein Obama and flew to Turkey and then ran over to Syria and took leadership of all Al-Qaeda and Al-Shabaab, Yemen, Somalia. He's the leader, you guys, you know. Baghdadi was the recruiter, the infiltrator, the social media guy, the smart guy, because he was actually educated. This other guy, man, he's bad news. So anyway, we're talking impeachment. Let's focus on that for a second. So we heard Kellyanne Conway say, well, they don't have the votes. You know, they're going to do it. We don't know if they're going to do it. They did it. But I want you guys to listen to this clip because there's an interesting part of Pompeo that was put in there on purpose in regards to the Ukraine. Take a listen. I'm going to keep the economy humming along. Not a single one of them voted for the greatest tax cut and the deregulation agenda that we have. The they're voting against too. our, yeah, they vote, where's the UMCA? Yeah. These great trade right. deals. So I think they're, they're having trouble. And even David Pluff, who um, helped to run President Obama's successful campaigns, he tweeted out last night what a strong ad. Uh, that President Trump's uh, folks issued last night during the World Series. He said, an ad in October during the World Series, the year before the election, is unprecedented. You know why? Because they've unra- they raised unprecedented amounts of money, yes. but also because this man is under unprecedented attack. The people see through it. All right. Uh, Secretary of State Mike Pompeo was here last night. He was honored uh, by the Hudson Institute. But before that, he, spot- he stopped down and spoke to Martha, and they brought up the Ukrainian call again. He was on that call. Listen. 
was on the call. I listened to the call. I thought the way the president handled it was appropriate. We were incredibly focused on a couple of simple things with respect to Ukraine strategy. We've executed on that. Don't forget, Martha, this is the administration that provided defensive weapon systems to Ukraine. The previous administration, I I couldn't tell you why. Um, I, I couldn't answer if it's because of Hunter Biden that Barack Obama and Vice President Biden didn't give defensive weapons. I'm going to tell you why they didn't give defensive weapons. Okay, I want you to remember that. Why did Barack Hussein Obama say, oh, hey, you guys, you need bulletproof vests, right? Okay, well, I'm going to give you some blankets and MRAs, but we need bulletproof vests. Yeah, we'll talk about that later. We're just going to talk what USAID is going to be giving you. What's USAID giving you? Blankets and MREs, all right? You want tanks? You want bullets? You want bulletproof vests? Yeah, we'll talk about it another time. Winky, winky. Just I'm going to tell you how, because they did get stuff. How? Systems to Ukraine. They'll have to answer for that. So that is the story for the longest time. They took Crimea, they infiltrated that country, they reached out to America, and we gave them MREs and sleeping bags, and they never budged from that. They never budged from that. That happened on Obama Biden's watch. Joe Biden seems to have gotten more exercise and more involved to help his son get a monthly consulting fee that he clearly was unskilled uh, to receive, has no appreciable skills in that field that we can see. Uh, he, Joe Biden spent more time on that than helping the people in need there. And and the- Okay, let me tell you guys something about Crimea. Let me tell you the backstory because we always see like what happens in the public. It's kind of like Facebook. You see all these pictures, right, of people going to places and they're like, look at me, I'm doing yoga. Look at me, I'm on vacation. And they're miserable, right, in the backstory. I'm going to tell you what happened with Crimea. Now, I've already told you that Crimea held a vote. And I already told you that the Crimeans chose to go with Russia. Now, here's how it went down. Russia already having the European Union dependent on them for energy, right? Dependent on them for energy said, you are not taking the Ukraine. You are not doing this. They are suffering. We are taking them and we're going to take them by force if we have to, because the people of the Ukraine want to be under Russia. We're going to give them independence, but they're going to be part of the Russian Federation, period. So the Europeans and, and Barack Hussein Obama were like, no, you're not. He's like, you want to, you want to bet? Okay, now you're going to pay for gas this much. And it's like just a penny more than what they would be paying, which is double. You know, it's like say if they wanted to get gas from the United States, I'm just saying, right? Uh, it would cost them, you know, with transport and everything, 70 cents, right? So Russia's like, I'll sell it to you for 71 cents. But I was getting it at 40 cents. Yeah, so what are you going to do about it? So here's where they embattled and embroiled. And Russia said, you are not taking the straight. You are not taking my territory. I will not let you do this. We will have a blown out war and I have no problem starting it. So this was negotiation. They allowed the Crimeans to vote because if they had allowed the Ukrainians, I guarantee you they would have not stayed with the EU. I am telling you that 100%. No way because they were already being smothered in debt. So the Ukrainians would have bowed out. So they made a deal. And this is why Crimea happened, just so you know. And this is where, you know, Putin was like, all right, then. 
too bad for the Ukrainians. That's why we have militants, because there's Ukrainians that want to go with Russia, and they're fighting with the Ukrainians that don't want to go with Russia. It's not Russians, but they're saying, oh, they're Russian militants. So let's just get the real story out. The story is, ooh, Russia annexed it. And it's like, Russia's like, no, I didn't, but whatever. No one's going to listen to me anyway. This is exactly what happened. So this is why we were giving them blankets. Why were we giving them blankets and MREs? Because they were getting their weapons in another way. In another way. And that, guys, I have been taking forever trying to piece this together without revealing sources or anything. Because this Amy Klobuchar thing is so huge. Because, you know, I mean, they have bulletproof vests. Where do they get them from if we weren't giving it to them? Mm-hmm. You see where I'm going with it? Where do they get parts for planes? Parts for boats, parts for, I don't know, maybe grenades, you know, where they, where they get all this stuff. Uh huh. Are you getting it? That's a wink, hint, hint. So that's, that's how they were getting them. That's why we were sending them blankets because we give USAID in the form of blankets and MREs and cash. And then they buy weapons. War is money. Everybody loves war because they get to sell weapons. You know, that's expensive. I mean, even buying a handgun is expensive, right, guys? It's not like you're going to find a handgun under 300 bucks. I mean, you may on sale like 20 times used. But think about machine guns and tanks. That's millions and millions and millions of dollars. But Secretary Pompeo says it's important for another reason. It's not as if Secretary Pompeo and others on the call are the only people who know what happened in the call. The whole world has access to yeah. the call. The transcript was released five weeks ago. It was released so the whole world can see the call. Here's what's not in the call. Any mention of 2020. Any mention of Biden as some political opponent anybody right. should fear. Any mention of aid being held up. Any of the eight quid pro quos that were promised to Pelosi by the cable news cranks and the Twitter trolls, which I suppose is why she changed her mind, oddly enough, after nine months of holding fast and holding forth and not wanting mm-hmm. to impeach the president until we had a full and fair investigation. She changed her mind like that based on reports, not based on the transcript of the actual call. So but, she was immediately okay. stuck. They got stuck and they had to do that. Go read the transcript, everyone. But the lieutenant colonel says the transcript wasn't accurate. He wanted to add things in that he remembered and they wouldn't well, let Well, we him. respectfully disagree with that. Um, just for the record, I would never besmirch or denigrate a lieutenant uh, colonel, but we did. We respectfully disagree with his, and question right. his patriotism, but we respectfully disagree with his characterization. And we will have our say when this president actually has his due process rights and is able to challenge witnesses, challenge evidence, present, present his own evidence, present his own witnesses. But it is unprecedented for a White House, we think, to, to release the transcript of a call like right. this. And the- okay, I'm going to tell you guys something, first of all, because I've done this myself as a job that lieutenant colonel had no business editing or adding that job would fall only on my lap so if i was the one that was transcribing the call it would be what i wrote down and what i heard with my ears right i can't mishear words it is what i heard with my ears now i can almost guarantee you we already have that call (laughs) 
Like, remember, we have Obama's plant, right, in the NSA. So we already have that call. So it is okay. The fact that he even said that he wanted to go back and edit it, which it wasn't him, it was his twin brother, is even more. He's treasonous. I don't care how many purple hearts you have. I don't care how many ribbons you have on your uniform. That doesn't make you any less of a potential person to commit treason. Brennan committed treason. Clapper committed treason. Comey committed treason. Obama committed treason. Loretta Lynch committed treason. Clinton committed treason. Bush committed treason. I The list of treasonous clowns that are supposedly patriots is so long, it's easier for me to say who didn't commit treason. So the bottom line is, even though she's very careful with her words, I would have said, well, I don't know. His allegiance stands elsewhere. And it's really funny that some Russian guy is going to be testifying, too. And now they have Bolton coming in. Now, a lot of people are like, Bolton can flip. He could be their secret plant. Let me tell you something about Bolton. And I've told you this before. He scares me. He is all about getting the mission done. He won't say anything wrong because the president, he'll be like, yeah, he wasn't listening. I told him we have to do this. He decided he wanted to do this. This should have been swifter. This would have been better. He's PO'd that the president wouldn't do what he says. Remember, that is what was being pushed out. Remember that interview that we analyzed together with the first interview of O'Brien that was done with Cuck Todd, right? Remember how he was like, well, he doesn't do what you tell him. And he's like, well, I'm just supposed to give him advice. And then, you know, he, he makes the decision. But that's not the way it usually goes. The national security advisor is usually the one that tells you what to do when you're president. And this president's like, thank you for your advice. Taken into consideration. Sorry, Bolton. I don't like it. Bolton's like, you're going to do this. No, I'm not. You're going to do this. No, I'm not. You're going to do this. I am not. I am going to get al-Baghdadi. I am pulling out of Syria. You don't want me to pull out? Then go away. Resign. Say bye-bye. That is how it works. No one bullies President Trump. No one tells him what to do. He has dealt with bigger bullies, shadier bullies, that would be willing to pull out a gun right then and there at the table, and he doesn't flinch. He's going to flinch with swamp creatures that are all about, you know, the image they have? No, it's not. And let me tell you something about the Ukraine. You think it's only Biden implicated? Well, Pelosi has shipping containers. How do you move weapons? Blumenthal has ships. How do you move containers? This is what you need to look at. How many people are involved in the Ukraine? How much money did they make off of the Ukraine? That is what you need to remember. And the president wanted to do that so everybody can see. The same reason he uses his sure. social media Tell feed, Leslie. Everybody gets the same message, same time. Exactly. And the Democrats never thought that you would release the transcript Correct. in a million years. Uh, meanwhile, let's talk a little bit about this. The administration has just launched findtreatment.gov, and it's all about the opioid crisis that has swept the nation. Incredibly exciting. Findtreatment.gov is a brand new tool for all Americans to access one of the 13,000 state licensed facilities and you can customize it before if you went to this type of tool it just puts quantity over quality it would map for you say 15 locations within 100 miles of your of your home instead you can customize it do you need outpatient treatment detox mm. 
interim treatment? Do you want to do um, residential treatment? Also, you can customize it by youth, 18 and younger, by LGBT, by, ve- by whether you're a veteran, by your gender. So it's customized. It's real. We use real language for real people. We got rid of the clinical language. It's smart government, no outside contracting, no big budget for this, just hard, hardworking people, a really small team working on this. And why it's important is we know that people and people who love people in need are looking for treatment. Indeed. And they, they have stigma and silence that prevents them from asking the right people. They can go and type in findtreatment.gov gotcha. and be connected. Thank Kellyanne, you for giving a platform you. to that. Take All right, care. Kellyanne, good job. Uh, we'll talk to you soon. Okay, so that was it. She was pushing agendas. You know, they turned her off. I mean, a lot of people love our Fox and Friends and stuff, but, you know. Now I want you guys to hear uh, the video of the the House vote on impeachment resolution, how they were voting. I just want you guys to listen to this for a sec um, because it's really important that we listen to the words that they're going to use, okay, uh, and what they're saying and what Pelosi is saying, okay? Take a listen. This is is interesting. On that, I would request the yeas and nays. The yeas and nays are requested. Those favoring a vote by the yeas and nays will rise. A sufficient number have arisen. The yeas and nays are ordered. Members will record their votes by electronic device. This is a five-minute vote, colleagues, a five-minute vote. So we are now on the clock at 11.22 East Coast time in Washington, D.C., Based on the current composition of the U.S. House, you need 217 votes for the resolution to pass. What is in the resolution? The resolution lays out the framework for how Democrats will conduct over the next several weeks or even beyond that. Uh, the jurisdiction they have given to various committees in the House after they complete their investigations last deposition. They will then hand their report to the House Judiciary Committee. Uh, that is headed up by Jerry Nadler, the Democrat from New York. When that begins, you will be under what would be considered an official impeachment inquiry. So as we wait for the vote here, we'll watch them add up. And Martha, I was just thinking as Dana was talking about um, how the president will handle this process. You could get a split screen between Washington, D.C. and public hearings. And the president in Columbus, Ohio... In Madison, Wisconsin, perhaps, uh, Atlanta, Georgia, he could go to the heart of the country and take his message to the American people. And that is something this country has never seen, a split screen such as that. Yeah, I mean, in the prior impeachment efforts, it was in the second term of a United States president. This is going to be quite the scene, as you point out, Bill, uh, as we watch an election unfold with this in the background and maybe sometimes in the foreground uh, of this. One thing I would say about the narrative that the White House seems to be sort of moving to, and the president tweeted about this yesterday, is that he was encouraging Republicans to stick to the substance of the issue at hand rather than the process, which they have focused on so much that they don't like about this closed door process. Um, Substance goes to a little bit of what I discussed with the Secretary of State last night, Mike Pompeo, who is now talking about the fact that he wants everyone to understand that the United States under the Trump administration has given far more in lethal aid to Ukraine when the Obama administration opted for MREs and blankets. We remember. I just want to say, No, the Ukraine did get lethal gear, but it didn't get it through our State Department's aid. Okay, it got it through Amy. Senator John McCain fought vociferously against. Well, before Amy, it was someone else. Focus a little bit more on the policy. What are the brass tacks? 
facts of what the relationship was in the Trump administration with Ukraine. How much aid did they get? How and, and also the fact that although the president clearly asked for these investigations to be open and according to the testimony, even pushed for it to happen at an open mic to say we're going to investigate uh, Biden and Burisma, it never happened. And the aid was released weeks later. So those are some of the issues that I think you're going to see their narrative uh, moving around as they continue to make this a, a more public and to put their own their own spin on it as they head out there, Bill. So we thought there were four or five Democrats who would vote against it. Two of them indeed have so far. Jeff Van Drew, the Democrat from New Jersey, he is a no vote. And so, too, is Colin Peterson, a Democrat from Minnesota. Uh, that district, he uh, Peterson's been the congressman there for a number of years, but that district won was won by President Trump by 31 points. Colin Peterson, well, he just voted no a, a moment ago. As you watch this, the the end. Of Colin Peterson wanted to get reelected. He just wants to be congressman. You know, the best way he could do that is by switching sides and becoming a Republican. I mean, Amash did it. So right now, at this point when they're talking, the House already has 217 votes. Uh, yay. And there is no Republican that said yes. And it seems that Democrats are kind of like sitting and waiting to complete their vote. Their commentary, though, is... Interesting. Listen. Independent, uh, we believe, is Justin Amash, a Republican from Grand Rapids, Michigan, who just recently left the Republican Party, filed as an independent. We believe that is the vote there. You see 219, 220, 221. You only need a 217. So this resolution has now passed with a little less than four minutes to go in the voting there. Two vote no on the Democratic side, Juan. This is a partisan vote we are watching unfold here. No question. Uh, you know, the president uh, was gathering people at the White House. He, they're trying to enforce the Republican line, much like the Democrats have been pushing. And Nancy Pelosi, as we've heard my colleagues discuss, really was taking temperatures, of, especially of those who are in districts that were won by President Trump in 2016. What you have to keep in mind again is that, you know, there are a swing here in terms of the moment. And what we are seeing is that there is overall support for an impeachment inquiry in terms of public polls. And again, that's polarized. It's Republicans saying, oh, no, we're not for it. We're Democrats and to some extent a split among independents, but independents rising, saying, yes, we are open to this. Uh, this morning, the AP NORC poll had the president's approval rating at 42%. It's not shifting. Notice, it's yeah. not going up. It's not coming down. In the polarization that we see today, it's locked. Uh, and as we go towards actual hearings, uh, and I guess now, if as this has passed, Bill, as you say, uh, we're looking at the Intelligence Committee hearings beginning in mid-November. The political impact of that is tremendous for Democrats because, yes, Guess what? There's a political primary process about to get started, actual voting, uh, getting right. started in Iowa caucuses and the like, debates, lots of arguments over everything from health care, as Dana was discussing, to education, how we pay for infrastructure and the like. Uh, does that get obscured? Okay, so now the vote came in as 232 to 196. There were three Republicans that didn't vote and one Democrat. That's what you need to look at. Who said not voting? I mean, it's not like, you know, the three votes would have done any difference for the Republicans. 
but it would have done something. And it's not like the one not vote in the Democratic Party would have made the yay even louder. Uh, they had 15, um, you know, uh, they had more than 10 votes than they, than they needed. Uh, but this tells you that the Democrats are going to be insanely fighting for 2020 because they're going to lose. They are going to lose hard. And this is the first time in history that it has been done by one party. One party, guys. One party. One party impeachment. One party wanted the impeachment. One party pushed for that impeachment. That is the importance here. That is what is really, really important. Okay? So a lot of people are banking that the Senate won't give the votes. I wouldn't be so rush to say that. Because I could tell you now that Lindsey Graham's going to go forward. He's going to be like, well, if there's nothing there. We should just go forward with it. Uh-huh. It's like I'm psychic. You watch what they say. It will make your skin crawl. You know, I'm waiting to see what Billy Long has to say. That round guy from Missouri. Mm. This is where it comes down to it. This is how you see the true faces of these people that have been elected into office by all of us. Imagine voting, not voting on a thing such as impeachment. That's such a cop out. That's such a, you know, a loser move. That's more loser than saying, yes, let's impeach. At least they had the, the cojones to get, you know, behind it. It's, it's pretty incredible. Now I wanted to tell you guys that, uh, today I'm waiting to hear about this California attorney that paid a girl, uh, to have sex with her. And the reason I say this is because he is embroiled with Avenatti. Now I've been watching this case like nobody's business when it first came out over a year ago, uh, on my radar. And, you know, uh, he would, you know, travel with this young child. He would travel with this young child, bought them a phone and paid them. And he'd take her to Vegas to do it so nobody can see. I'll see you guys right after this break. Welcome back, everyone, to the Tori Says Show. I'm your host, Tori. So... Before the break, I was telling you guys about this case with this lawyer because we're going to roll into Epstein because there's a lot coming out on that now. And I already told you he wasn't dead, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but before we do that, I wanted you guys to kind of, um, with me, understand who was the g- little girl, right? Because uh, they were all little girls that didn't vote, right? So I already called one of them out, um, and that's John Rose of uh, Tennessee, who said that he couldn't be there because of, you know, a family thing. But if he was there, he would have voted no. That's not good enough. See, because the thing is, you are not, you didn't have to. It was an electronic vote. He could have gotten his vote in. He could have phoned it in. He knew that he was going to be out. So um, that's the way it is. Now, Here's the other thing. The other guy that didn't vote is because he's on um, a full-time military duty um, as an Air National Guard. Now, uh, when uh, when he's gone, he obviously can't vote because he's serving his country. 
But what, uh, will happen is, is that the same person, you know, he's going to see, uh, what the bills are and then, um, you know, he'll post to say how he would have voted if, you know, he could have, which is really weird. I mean, yeah, it could have been the deciding vote when he gets back on November 22nd, um, you know, if it was tight. Uh, but, you know, that's a better excuse than no excuse, right? <laughs> Okay, so then we have a Democrat that um, didn't vote either, and that's McEachin. And um, let me see, wait, what he said. Um, I don't think he said anything. He just didn't vote. Um, And that's because he is in a red district and um that's that's pretty interesting he's he's a democrat um he's in virginia he's not going to be reelected uh for sure um you know he's part of the climate crisis energy commerce he's gone he's totally gone and the fact that he just didn't vote uh is a big deal so um, He didn't vote, but he says that he stands by uh, his colleagues to support today's resolution. But on the record, he didn't put his name, which means that he doesn't really support it. He doesn't want to go down in history of being a partisan hack. Now, Justin Amash, of course, um, you know, uh, uh, didn't um, put out a statement and um, that uh, clown also, uh, didn't, um, vote. Well, no, they did vote. Amash did vote. He said, yes, Jody Heiss didn't vote. And Jody Heiss tweeted out, I want to thank my house GOP colleagues for standing firm as a united front against this impeachment resolution. I wish I could have been there to join you all in voting. No, thank you everyone for the love and support. God bless you all. So he's telling people to vote, but he wasn't there. I don't see, I mean, except for the guy who's on active duty, I don't care how big of a family situation it is. Honestly, I'm, I'm a parent. So let's pretend my kid was going through surgery. I'm just saying. I would still be like, I'm choppering it over. I will make sure that I'm there so at least my vote is counted. Now, we, you know, that is how it is. You don't just do it. Now, just so you know, Justin Amash, who is in a red district, is not being reelected. He's not. He is out the door for what he did as an independent, which I actually thought was Bernie Sanders, because Amash said that um, he's um, uh, a Democrat. So, <laughs> so he quit the Republican Party, and now he's a Democrat, but he's an independent for now because he's too conservative for the Democrat. He's a clown. He's out. He's done. So there's that for the impeachment. Now, it's going to be pretty interesting to see what the Senate does. Because like I've said before, uh, I know we need two-thirds of the Senate, but we do have really, really bad people uh, that are within the GOP. And I kind of like the fact that they pulled the trigger right now, that they pulled the trigger for, uh, you know, the impeachment now in his final year of his term, right? <laughs> so I really like that. Because now we're upcoming to elections. These Democrats will not have a leg to stand on. And whatever Republican dares, dares to vote toward this impeachment will probably be chased out of their own city. I can foresee people filing recallings. I can foresee so much. Because any Republican getting behind this witch hunt is toast.
And here's where we're going to see Lindsey Graham's true colors. You know, Lindsey Graham's true colors. Who might say, well, I just, I just, you know, if there's nothing there, there's nothing there. I mean, I don't see what the problem is. That's what he's going to say. So, um, we'll leave that there. I just wanted to say something about plants. And I've said this before. So it's almost like I wrote the movie, right? Where I said, um, you know, they're going to find a guy. They're going to pin it on a guy and say that he was the whistleblower and they're going to find him after they kill him. I said that, remember, um, it was last week. And I, and I actually said this in a train of thought of conversation with Scott Adams. And I was like, you know what, Scott, I'm going to tweet this out. So we have record of it. So that way we can say, Hey, we knew about, you know, we, we had this in, you know, this, this plot, you know, thought of it. And so this is, this is not good. So what I saw, okay, yesterday is two things. One, before I say the number one, I want you guys to remember fake news isn't only on the left. It is on the right too. And people that have been giving us solid reporting, solid reporting have been wrong. There's one person that everyone is targeting. His name is Anthony Eric Sierra I know this guy. There is no way he did this. Uh, I don't know where they got their information from. Probably a solid source that, you know, is exactly that. Planting wrong information on purpose. So I just wanted to say um, the law firm representing the whistleblower, listen to this statement. Any physical harm the individual and or their family suffers as a result of disclosure means that the individuals and publications reporting such names will be personally liable for that harm. Did you hear that? Did you hear that? So they're saying, you know, um, if they get hurt, if they die, you know, you will be responsible for it for uh, putting such a thing, for trying such a thing, because I told you what they're going to do. And I, you know, if I was Anthony, I'd be running right now. I would be hiding. I would be, you know, hiding. Like I would drop off the face of this earth until it blows over. And I would even hide him in my closet, even though I don't like, I'm just saying, because this is not the way things should be done. This is what the Clintons do. This is what the Bushes did, right? This is what Obama did. This is the Trump administration. We will not allow that to happen. So if anything, when you hear that someone knows the whistleblower, right? But the president is asking, where's the whistleblower, huh? Where's the whistleblower, huh? When you see the mainstream media, that's the mouthpiece of the left, Right. Making claims like, oh, you know, the whistleblower is like, um, it could have been that guy, you know, the NSC advisor that trying to change it because there is no whistleblower. You guys, there is no whistleblower. So, again, take everything with a grain of salt because everyone's like reporting it. Hey, why don't you take a picture of so and so? Because it's him. Having been present in a room with that guy before, I could tell you it's not him. As soy as they come, 
okay? And scapegoat as they come, okay? So, sorry. This looks like a target. And I'm totally, totally, you know, freaking out about it because this is going to be a complete setup. Uh, unless, you know, he's, they're doing what they, they did to Julian Assange. His brain is jello right now. You have no idea. Like the stuff that I'm learning from England in regards to what he is being put through in prison is ridiculous. The conditioning or what they call extracurricular classes. Why would Julian Assange need to take classes? Because in a couple of months, he's being extradited and they can't stop the extradition. And why would Julian Assange beg to stay there? Does he really believe? None of us believe that Donald Trump is going to throw him in the in, in a prison. Are you kidding? But we have to have charges ready, right? We have to have something filed to ask for him. Okay? This is psyops. This is how it works. And they're making his brain jello. It's like taking a syringe and pushing it into his brain until it becomes mush. He couldn't even articulate himself correctly. Thanks, Cassandra Fairbanks. Everyone now sees your true colors. But when I was talking about code pink, you know, everyone's like, oh, are you jealous? No, yeah, I'm kind of jealous of her boobs, but not of her. Because plants are everywhere. And now they're proud plants, too. But, hey, whatever, right? Now, I want um, people to take a listen to we're shifting gears by the way we're getting into epstein now i covered epstein a lot i've told you he's not dead and i want you to listen to what the medical examiner says oh and by the way today scott adams was like yo you know hillary clinton's brother died right and i was like yeah he's like you do know that he looks like jeffrey epstein and i was like Mm-hmm. That's a good idea because that could have been her brother on the stretcher. But anyway, take a listen to this conversation on Fox where the medical examiner explained exactly what I told you. You'd have to believe that he did like a cannonball off a pool while he tied uh, tissue paper around his neck and tied it to the bunk bed. And this tall, humongous guy you know, didn't break his fall by falling down, but snapped his neck. And like I said, the only way it would have been that he could have maybe succeeded it was if he was laying down on his back and then he flipped backwards like in a yoga move to flip off the bed so it could quickly snap. But that's not what happened. Take a listen. It has been nearly three months since the death of American financier and alleged sex trafficker Jeffrey Epstein. His death ruled a suicide here in New York back in August. Our next guest was tapped by Epstein's team to observe the autopsy and is here to reveal the findings from his investigation. All right, joining us right now, former New York City medical examiner, Dr. Michael Bodden. He's a forensic pathologist, Fox News contributor, and joins us right now for an exclusive interview. Uh, Dr. Bodden, thanks for being here. Hey, good morning. Good morning. When did you realize uh, that the Epstein family needed help? Well, I was asked by the brother, the next of kin, to be at the autopsy. Mm -hmm. And at the autopsy on day one, there were findings that were unusual for suicidal hanging and more consistent with uh, ligature homicidal strangulation, which included... And it was suggested at the time that he committed suicide by doing what? By by hanging. uh, At the time, he was found allegedly hanging 
by uh, a uh, homemade ligature of sheets. Are you saying you don't think it was suicide? I think that the evidence points toward homicide rather than suicide. Why? Because there are multiple three fractures in the hyoid bone, the thyroid cartilage, that are very unusual for suicide and more uh, uh, indicative of strangulation, homicidal strangulation. Let's take a look at what the medical examiner stated. Uh, after a careful review of all the uh, investigative information, including complete autopsy findings, the ter determination on the death of Epstein is below. Cause, hanging, manner, suicide. You say that his fatal injuries are consistent with homicide? More consistent with homicide. And in fact, at the time of the autopsy, the doctor doing the autopsy wasn't, uh, didn't think it was enough information to say suicide, so she put it well, pending further study. And then for some reason, and they want to know, uh, the family wants to know why was it changed from pending further study to homicide afterwards. So if yeah. you're there watching them perform this autopsy, you notice these three broken bones, and you believe it would be homicide. So that would mean another person would have gone into his cell, strangled him. Did he have any signs of trying to fight back? Well, they took a fingernail scrape, uh, 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 clippings to see if there's anybody else's DNA on it, and that hasn't been released. Neither has the information about the, whose DNA is on the ligature. There's a, it was, a ligature was made out of torn strips of uh, orange uh, sheets, and whoever uh, made it had to put, uh, have a lot of DNA on it, and uh, the brother's been asking that from day one. So wait a second. So you're saying that whoever made it has to have a lot of DNA on it, and there was? No, no we all. don't even know who was examined. Could they, right. So you're saying when you left the examination room, they weren't sure what happened. That's right. So what, you know this procedure. What happened in the interim to get this so, so, such a blunt conclusion? Well, a week later, it was changed to homicide. The brother wants to know what did they get new in that week to uh, make it homicide. What's your answer to that? Uh, we don't know. We don't know. It's 80 days now. Right. And the brother feels he's getting a runaround. And to add to it, there was a total breakdown in security. The video cameras didn't work. The guards went to sleep. Uh, the the. Uh, what about that guy who was in the cell neck, uh, with him uh, earlier, uh, the, where it was suggested he, that that guy tried to kill him? Well, he had a new roommate now because there was suicide watch, a different roommate. But that roommate was pulled away uh, the day or two before, so that there was no roommate with him, yeah. no suicide watch, no security guards, no videotapes that were working. Did the FBI was the FBI able to get some information Biden, from the video? I know that you were hired back in the 70s to do this as your job you really investigated deaths in prisons after oh, yes. the big riot and all these prisoners died so in your experience what are the chances of him not being checked on for three hours from 3:30 to 6:30 when he found his body and the two prison guards falling asleep extremely unlikely i've never seen it in 50 years of investigating all deaths that occur in uh, prisons in new york state never had two guards fall asleep at the same time all the video doesn't work and the issue would be, did somebody come in and cause uh, his death? Well, what about the suggestion you may be biased because you were hired by the family? That's, that's always uh, a situation, except that Governor Rockefeller, after Attica in 71, set up a special board to look into all deaths in prisons in New York State because the concern that police, medical examiners uh, were, uh, and guards were biased when, when uh, 
the uh, uh, inmates complained that deaths were being covered up, and we have a separate board that looks into all these deaths. Dr. Bond, what I don't understand is if if everybody wants the same thing, the truth, the brothers shouldn't be fighting anything. They should be interviewing you and saying, wait, tell me about what you have. Have people investigating this case prior to them ruling it a suicide contacted you? Not and at all. Does, None. Do you find that strange? Yes. If, if, the, if the attorney general is investigating the cause of death, as they're doing the security of this issue, right. in this issue, uh, somebody should have been investigating everybody who had anything to do with the autopsy. Sure. So if there was a prisoner that went in and strangled him, and the DNA is on that, whatever ligature, he used, the, the ligature, ligature, the sheets, the bed sheets, then wouldn't it be easy to track down who that person was? Absolutely. Absolutely. That's first thing. The medical examiner, at the time of the first autopsy, did swabs of all the clothing on him for DNA. Uh, but who had the ligature? Well, who because, has that information? Why is well, it not being released? That's what the brother wants to know. So that's why that they asked me to come here. Are you, so you're calling on the state to figure out whose DNA is on that? Not the state, unfortunately. This is a federal prison. So the okay. state has not, the FBI yeah. usually investigates, uh, would be investigating it. And the brother wants to know, one, did the FBI get a hold of that ligature? And two, it only takes a couple of days to do the DNA. What's the results? Did you guys pay attention to that? So the thing that was wrapped around his neck, like, where is it? It's like totally missing. Are you getting this? Like everyone's talking about, oh, it wasn't suicide because it's not consistent. Everybody missed the really big important part, which is this thing is missing. And on that thing, right, we got DNA. Like what's going on? Let's get talking. Uh, tell me where it is. Dr. Biden, I know you're just somebody who looks at a situation, cut and dry. I'm looking at DNA, looking at hard facts. How important in your investigation and conclusion is his mindset prior to suicide and the fact that he had plans afterwards and that he spent so much time with his lawyers the day before? Yeah, you're absolutely right. Uh, the great majority of people commit suicide give warning signs ahead. Now, one of the warning signs could have been the incident July 23rd when uh, when he said the roommate assaulted him and the uh, guard said it was a suicide attempt and they should have been watching him. Sure. They didn't watch him, according to the guards, according to his lawyers at that time. Uh, he was in good mood. He was hoping that he was still waiting for a decision sure. whether he can get out on bail. That hadn't come yet. Well, he had so many victims. Uh, I think the victims really deserve to well, know had, what happened. You're absolutely right. There are a lot of things happened, but also the brother is concerned that if he was murdered, then other people who have information might be at risk and jeopardy. Look, uh, the heart doesn't go out with this guy. This guy seems like it's just a terrible person who uh, uses his power and manipulation ability for evil means. I right. get it. But there are so many people who are implicated in his web of ugliness. You wonder, uh, you wonder if this plays a role. The, the powerful people that his antics affected and would have been affected had he lived. You're absolutely right, and that's one of the things that the brother thinks as well. If they think he has information that his what life would be in jeopardy. Think, what does the brother tell you? What does he think happened? He thinks he wants to find the answer to it, and he thinks that uh, his brother wasn't the type to commit suicide, but he'd like to get the information that has, he hasn't been able to get so far. How hard is it to commit suicide in prison? 
very easy. And but first, in this situation, uh, who, if he took the sheets and, and stripped and made, it would have taken a good half hour yeah. or hour to make the ligature, then to go up there. Once you're hanging, it's about five minutes or so but, that you can have be near dead. Uh, Dr. Baden, though, if you know, if it, you know, the, the supposition is that it was a homicide. That would mean cops were in in on it. Uh, you know, who opened the door? Who moved the cameras? All was of that stuff. Was it someone on the outside, that, 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 or was that, it inside? That, job? That's, a, that's ter- right. That's well, a terrible allegation. It's, well, the, the, why were the two guard two guards asleep? In 50 years of looking at deaths in New York State, and p- occasionally a guard falls asleep. Never are two guards at the same time. The cell, the the camera in the cell watching didn't work. The camera in the hallway to see if anybody came in and out of his cell didn't work. This is bizarre that his roommate was taken away, so he's all by himself. Suicide watch was taken away. So, yeah, the issue you bring up has to be invested. doesn't mean that this was a homicide, right. but certainly it deserves investigation. And the brother's concerned there is no have investigation. Have you ever seen anyone that committed suicide and was hanging themselves with those three broken bones? No. Hanging does not cause these uh, uh, broken bones, and homicide does. Usually two, bro- two bones, even three, is a huge amount of pressures was applied. Okay. How different is all this for anyone, let alone a high-profile prison? Oh, prison. he. There were 800 other people in the in the uh, correction facility, and most of them would have liked him to get their hands on him. One because he, he had sexual things, two because to make a name for themselves, uh, three because somebody could put him up to it. You're right, though. A number of people had to be involved. If this is a homicide. Okay, uh, Dr. Biden, thank you very much. Uh, he just said that uh, the fatal injuries are consistent with homicide, and you've also called on the feds to uh, figure out whose DNA is on that thing that he hung himself with. If he- well, no, that's not the takeaway. See, this is the thing about bad reporting. I wanted you guys to hear the whole thing with my little commentary in the middle because this guy did an exceptional job on demonstrating what the issue is here with Epstein. His brother wants to know. That's number one. Why would his brother want to know? Because if it's suicide, then it's forfeiture. Now the feds have control of his brother's stuff. He gets no say. His brother was filthy rich. He gets some of that filthy richness, uh, you know, after whatever claims he may have for the, you know, uh, victims to get, right? So that's number one. So the brother wants to find out because he's not convinced. He's like, what is going on here? Like, this is not right. So that's number one. Number two is the actual ligature is missing. Nobody knows where it is. No DNA evidence has been presented. It's nowhere. So the question is, where is this ligature? Where is it, FBI? Why are you hiding it, FBI, is the question. And the question is answered simply because he's not dead. And that was not Epstein. That's the simple question. And that is what the brother wants to know. The brother wants to know if that is indeed the case. Is my brother still alive? Is he dead? You know, what's going on? Why don't I have a full story? My brother would never hang himself. He's way too tall to have hung himself from, you know, (laughs) he's way too tall to have hung himself from a bunk bed. Like, uh, work with me, people. So Epstein is going to be unsealed at the most unexpected moment there is. It will blow people's mind. It implicates tons of people in the sense of... 
nations, powerful people. And again, this links back to that attorney that was caught that I told you that's linked with Avenatti that I'm waiting for his sentencing to come up. Or I guess his like super indictment for taking a little girl to Vegas and doing what he wants with her. Guys, these people are sick. And the Democrats are fighting for them. Stay tuned for news today. God bless from all of us at Red State.